0: Good morning. Wow, all right, nice. Uh, this is a picture of my granddaughter, Paige. Um, the expanded view is her laying in my arms as we watch our first Iowa football game together. She loved it. And then as soon as the game was done, she woke up and wanted to eat, so it was perfect timing. And uh, But she's a joy. I'm, I'm already in training Having only sons and brothers, uh, I haven't learned the girl things, but I'm excited about it. Uh, little Ella Domal is training me uh, with Barbies, and she said that the, you start by being the dog, Barbie, and then you learn to obey the kid, Barbie. And then if you do a really good job, then you get to become the kid, and then you learn to obey the mom, Barbie. And if you do a bad job, then you get demoted and you're back to the dog. If you do a good job, then you become the mom Barbie and then you work on obeying the dad Barbie. So as she's explaining all this, I said, so Ella, what do you do if mom Barbie tells you to do something that you don't want to do? And she paused. And she says, well, most of the time you obey the mom Barbie, but not always. So, you know, I'm in training, but it's a lot of fun and she's a joy of our life. But, you know, one of the things I was thinking about with the sermon today, which we're going to be talking about the concept of salvation, being saved for others. But before we get there, I want you to think about this question, when are you a parent? What does it mean to be a parent? Is that just to have a baby? So if you have a baby, now you're a parent, and then it's done, because you're, you're a parent. You There's the baby, it's all done, you're a mom, you're a dad, and you know the baby just is now on their own, and you go on through life. Being a parent. You know, the fact is, uh, what I want you to think about today is when you think about salvation, what is the picture that comes in mind for you? Because for so long, we pretty much think about when our sins get forgiven, we're saved. Kind of like the baby's born. Well, then. Then then what's this whole concept of salvation after our sins are forgiven? Is there more to it? You know, you can say that parents make a child, but it could also be said that children make parents. You know, having a baby is the first part of parenting. But all the emotional, spiritual, ups and downs, the sacrifices, the late nights, the sleepless nights, the when you've got a big project due and your kid wakes up and is throwing up, you can't say, I'm tired, I've got a big project. The kid really doesn't care. The kid just throws up and says, I need you. You know, there is a molding, there is a lifestyle change that happens that is ongoing in the parenting process. And I actually think that's kind of the idea of what God has in mind when he talks about salvation. But I want to start over in Ephesians chapter two. And we're going to read some verses together. But in in verse eight through 10, it says, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Well, if we're saved through faith and all that means is your sins get forgiven when you get baptized, then what's the rest of this passage about? What's this whole concept is we're saved to do good works, which God had prepared in advance for us to do if it's just about the forgiveness, then what is it that we're supposed to be doing? I mean, didn't didn't we complete the process? Isn't it kind of like graduation that once you make it and you get your diploma, you're just kind of done? And now you don't have to look at the textbooks anymore. You know, oftentimes as Christians, we can function in this realm. And so we know baptism's kind of the start of the journey, but we live like it's the end. Okay, I accomplished it. I made it. I'm saved. And now I can move on without the after effects of salvation. You know, when the writers of Scripture talk about salvation, they had a much bigger concept in mind than just sins getting forgiven. They were talking about restoration. They were talking about reconciliation. They were talking about renewal. It wasn't just get the sin out of the way. It was kind of fixing everything that's wrong. You think about it. If you've got a bill that you are wallowing in and then all of a sudden unexpected money comes in in the mail, you know what you say and sometimes you verbalize it? Oh, I'm so grateful this came in. This money saved me. Or if you're sick. Or bleeding. or need surgery and you go to the hospital. And you recover. What do you tell the doctors and nurses? Thank you. You saved me. If I was taking a class and I didn't know what to do. I didn't understand the material. And you hire a tutor and you do well on the test. What do you say? Thanks for your help. You saved me. You see, I think we actually do understand this concept as it really is intended. There's just more to it. There's a lifestyle. There's this aspect of how we live as a Christian that encompasses so much more than simply the starting point of your sins being forgiven. So turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. You know, as you're thinking about this concept of salvation, then you got Paul and he says, chapter 15, verse 1 and 2. Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you the gospel I preach to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel, you are being saved if you hold firmly to the word I preach to you, otherwise you have believed in vain. When he talks about that you are saved, you are being saved, he's not referring to something that happened in the past. He's saying this is an ongoing process in your life. Well, who's he writing to? The Christians in Corinth. So this can't mean that somehow the gospel is having this like ongoing effect, even though... It was all done back when you got baptized. It wouldn't make any sense. See, Paul's trying to help them understand is that the good news and the word of God, the, the impact on each one of our lives is ongoing. There's lifestyle. There's obligations that encompass this whole picture of what it means to be saved. Another verse over in Luke chapter one. And this was uh, talking about John the Baptist. But you've got this song sung. And he's talking about the ministry of John and what he's going to do. And we're going to pick it up in verse 76. Let me get there myself. So in Luke chapter 1, Zachariah's dad sings this song. You know, when you when your kids born, you're fired up, you sing songs he says in verse 76, and you, my child, will be called the prophet of the most high for you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him. So he's talking about the ministry of John the Baptist and the work that he's going to do to kind of usher in Jesus, the son of God. But in verse 77, he says to give his people the knowledge of salvation through The forgiveness of their sins. You say, well, what does this mean? That means that forgiveness of sins is kind of an entryway. It's a component of a much bigger process that's going on. So it's like, yeah, you got to get the sin out of the way so you can fully grasp a saved lifestyle, which is the ongoing way of how we live. So another way to think about it. Forgiveness is for us, me. Salvation is for others. But one of the things we face so often in our society is the idea of me, the idea of myself, my wants and my needs. And so we can actually turn salvation into this self-improvement thing. Yes, I got my sins forgiven. I'm saved. And we think, and it's all about me. Well, see, salvation should always be personal. But biblical salvation is never individual. That's why we need the church. That's why we need each other. Because it's impossible to live the Christian life on your own. It's not a biblical thing. You'll hear people say, I'm tight with God. I got no problem with God or the Bible, but I don't want to have anything to do with church or people. That's like saying, I love swimming, but I will never go in the water. Like that statement doesn't make any sense. You can't be a Christian except around the relationships of one another. Why? Because the whole concept of salvation Is what we do together. It's not individual. It's what we're accomplishing together. So salvation is more than forgiveness of sins. Now there's this whole lifestyle. That we can look at far beyond. Yes, I got my sins forgiven. So I want to look at two examples of this. Go over to Luke 18. You'll, you'll, you'll get the point when we read these stories. Actually, let's just start in Luke 19. Luke 19. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but being a, short, uh, being a short man, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him. Since Jesus was coming that way, when Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter. He's going to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said, look, Lord, here and now I give half my possessions to the poor. And if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I'll pay him back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house. Say, what was the transformation? Well, he was a wealthy chief tax collector. He gets a glimpse of Jesus. Jesus sees him, says, I'm going to your house, we're going to have dinner, they talk, and all of a sudden he has this dramatic transformation. He goes, "Half of everything I own I give to the poor." But I'm not going to stop there. If I've cheated anybody out of anything, I'll pay him back four times as much. And Jesus, says, salvation has come to this house. Became a giver here and now. Man, oh yeah, here, take half of what I got. Jesus' salvation has come. Now, let's uh, go back to Luke 18. Verse 18. A certain rich ruler asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered, no one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not murder. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. Honor your father and mother. All these I've kept since I was a boy, he said. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, you still lack one thing. Sell everything you have and give to the poor. And you have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. When he heard this, he became very sad Because he was very wealthy. Jesus looked at him and said how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. Those who heard this asked. Who then? Can be saved. He didn't ask. Who can be of good moral upright standing? Because the rich young ruler was doing all that, right? All these I've kept since I was a little boy. Now there was something else in play. Jesus called him to be a giver. He called him to live for others. He called him to empty himself for the poor. And what did, what did the rich young ruler say? What did the guy who lived a righteous life say? He said, meh, I pass. I don't need this. This is not on my agenda. This sermon, not meeting my needs. I'm really disappointed. And those who heard said, who then can be saved? This problem was not a moral lifestyle. The problem was something bigger than that. Jesus was calling him to be a giver. To no longer live for himself, to not benefit his life, but to empty himself for others and those around. He's like, "Mm, nah. You say, who was saved? Well, Jesus said it was Zacchaeus. But what was it about him that described the salvation? Well, you see the heart. Zacchaeus became a giver. Here and now, the rich young ruler said, no thanks, I'm busy. I've got other plans. I've got other goals. I've got other dreams. So where do you feel you fit? How's your salvation Going. You see, it's more than just living an upright life. We can attend church, we can read our Bible, and we can pray and be unsaved in the process. You say, what would that look like? A moral person who lives a self-centered life. What would your schedule reflect? What would your bank statement say? What matters most? Is it here and now? Man, I'm going to do everything I can here and now. Or is it, I don't think so. You see, if all we're thinking about is, I just got to get my sins forgiven. Listen, I don't want to do anything to diminish the importance of that. But salvation is much bigger than just getting our sins forgiven. See, because the Christian life, to join it, when you say Jesus is Lord, you're now accepting all the obligations of that lifestyle. Kind of like a parent once the baby is born. Now, moms, they have obligations that start before birth. You know, the human body is really amazing. Did you know that if a mom doesn't get all the calcium that she needs, that her body will literally rob it from her teeth and bones to give it to the baby? like, well, if you're not going to take care of yourself, God steps in and says, okay, fine. I'm going to prioritize a little human inside of you. Like, that's incredible. I mean, they they got all kinds of encumbrances, you know, and then once you get to the end and, you know, there's all kinds of stuff. The obligations don't begin once the baby is born. There's feeding. There's there's diapers. There's there's everything. You know the Christian life is the same way. You get your sins forgiven. Good. That's important. Now, let's live a salvation lifestyle. Okay. So now, as you're thinking along these terms, now now let's. Uh, Look at a few other verses here. In 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3. Paul to Timothy says this. Well, Let's just start in verse 14. It says, but as for you, continue in what you've learned to become convinced of because you know those from whom you learned it. And how from infancy you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scriptures God breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Say again, if salvation is just getting your sins forgiven, then why would Paul be telling this to Timothy? Because salvation is more. He's saying there is a lifestyle, there is a heart, there's an attitude, there's a mindset that you need to live according to. And God's word will teach you, God's word will train you. You know those from whom you've learned it. They're going to give you the wisdom to live a salvation lifestyle. You know, we just participated in a marriage retreat last weekend. There are about 750 people at the marriage retreat. Yeah, you know, I've been married to Cheryl now for 29 and a half years. That's awesome. But you know what? Every time I go to a marriage retreat, I learn new things. Now, can you imagine? If Cheryl said, "Well, we're we're going to marriage retreat this year." <laughs> nah. Why do you need to bother with that? We got married 29 and a half years ago. I've been married for almost three decades. And she's like, yeah, but I want to be a good wife and, and a husband. Now, hey, you are a wife, and I am a husband, and we've been that way for three decades. You know, I just don't really like retreating. Why do I got to do that? Cost money, time. Like you would not look at me and go, oh, that's just a really wise, practical decision. You'd go, you are stupid to think that way. But you know, sometimes in our spiritual life, we're all fired up about learning the word of God to get our sins forgiven. And then we get done and we're like, Oh, you know, reading's just not really my favorite thing. You know, there's a lot more books that are so much more exciting to read, and so I like to do that. I mean, Kyla, I mean, she became my sister in Christ a couple weeks ago. She she can stop reading the Bible. I mean, she made it, her sins are forgiven. Listen. The word of God will make us wise to how to live. As a Christian, this is we're not going to live a saved lifestyle without the word of God. So how's your Bible study? How's your relationship with God? Well, you know, the fact is and see, this is where our theology gets wrong. If we think it's all about getting the sins forgiven, then what's the motivation once the sins are forgiven? But if we're talking much bigger than that then, that, then you go, oh, yeah, I need the Word of God for that. I need the Word of God for relationships. I need the Word of God for parenting. I need it for marriage. I need it for finances. I need it for practical living. I need it just to be a good citizen. I need it to be a good and faithful man. There's a whole lot of stuff that I need the Scriptures if life's more than just getting your sins forgiven. You see, if we're only reading our, our Bible to check the committed daily box, we're not gaining the wisdom for salvation. So we gotta think about this. Okay, here's another one. Famous verse on repentance, right? How do we normally use this verse? Well, we're teaching somebody. Who wants to get their sins forgiven. And we talk about this is like repentance. And, you know, there's alarm and indignation. And, you know, and we go through that list. Are you ready to see justice done? That's what repentance looks like. That's godly sorrow. Now think of who this is written to. Christians. And say, what's Paul trying to accomplish here? He says, Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. So do you think Paul's telling them, hey, godly sorrow is useful just to get your sins forgiven. And then you don't have to do it again. No, the whole context of the verse is that repentance and godly sorrow is an ongoing part of the lifestyle of somebody who is living a saved life. All the obligations of Christianity that go with that. Everything in the church. Everything in the community. Your faith. Your righteousness. Hey, all that lifestyle stuff. Paul says, oh yeah, that's ongoing. And he says, godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. You see, I wish that as soon as my sins were forgiven, all my problems were solved. My my barrier with God is solved, but all my issues are still there. And so they need work. I need work. I need the Spirit. And so it doesn't just Yes, you came out of the waters of baptism. Now we can relax. No. Now the fun really begins. You say, well, how does this come into play? Well, think about it. If if we're just thinking about in terms of our sins get forgiven, then a lot of times we view repentance this way. Okay, the bad things that I like to do in my sin, just don't do that. And so I'm just living life. Don't do that. Don't look at the things I shouldn't do. Don't watch things I shouldn't watch. Don't hear things. Don't, you know, don't be mean. And it's like we're white knuckling it through life. Don't do the bad things. But I really want to do the bad things. But don't do it because it's wrong. Now, how does our view of repentance change if we're Thinking about how life is lived completely for other people. Now instead of sitting around going, don't do the bad. You're like, okay, I got this much time on my day. What's the most good I can do for everybody else? Man, I got two free hours here. I can encourage. I can serve. I can love. I can share my faith. I can pray. I can see how they're doing. I got two hours. I got to maximize that two hours. Versus, I'm sitting at home for two hours and I don't want to sin. You see, when you change your mindset to live for others and you're trying to maximize the opportunities that life gives you, you think differently about sin. you're not sitting around trying to not do the bad. You're just focused on doing the good. See, that's the concept of repentance that leads to salvation. Say, godly sorrow leads to living life for others more important than yourself. So what's this mean? Well, let's go to one final verse here. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. This is the most challenging one of all. 1 Corinthians 1. Verse 18. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, ongoing, it is the power of God. Say, what's what's Paul talking about with the cross? He's talking about a self-emptying, loving people more, sacrificial, forgive again, a not retaliating, no vengeance, a love, a love again, a love again, a love again. Life. He says that's the cross. And he says that way of living is the power of God for us who are being saved. He's saying that's what it looks like. It is the cross. He's not saying the event of Jesus on the cross that's what gave you the power to get your sins forgiven. Now, we're framing it wrong again. He's saying this way of living is the power of God for us who are being saved. They say, why forgiveness of sins? Oh, yeah. You know what? If we're going to live the cross lifestyle, our sinful nature is going to stop that process every time, isn't it? Who are we fooling? We're not going to live the cross life unless our sins are forgiven. Because we got to get that stuff out of the way. So our sins need to be forgiven to open up that pathway for other-centered living. Think about it. The pride of your heart, you're not going to serve others. Gerardo talks about meeting needs of kids that lost everything in the Thomas fire? You can go, ah, busy. Someone else will. We got a pretty big crowd here. No. Listen, pride is gonna block us every time. Pride is gonna lead us down a path of the rich young ruler. That we see needs, we hear needs in our community, in our neighborhood, in our workplace, in our classroom. Then we're going to go, nah, not on my agenda. But when we realize those obligations, when that stuff's taken out of the way, you know what kind of response we have? Look, Lord, here and now, I give. What's a saved lifestyle? To be a giver. So what do we need? We need the word of God. We're not going to get there on our own. We need ongoing training and sharpening and teaching and correcting, sometimes rebuking. Why? Because Christians are obligated to live another centered life. Don't limit salvation to the forgiveness of sins. That makes it all about you. should be personal, but not individual. We need the Word of God. We need repentance. The word repent, metanoia, means like a total change of mind and life. But you see, that that comes with the mindset of the saved life. Versus, I want to be self-centered, but I can't sin. We white-knuckle it. Versus, man, I'm just emptying myself for others. I'm maximizing all the opportunities that I have. That's repentance. And finally, we need the cross lifestyle. What is it? Self-emptying. You say, yeah, but I don't want to get hurt. There is no way to live a cross lifestyle without getting hurt. You can't put your heart out there. You can't serve. You can't love without getting hurt. Say, what do you do? You keep loving. You keep loving. See, Jesus died not so that you could be saved. That we could be saved. That we could be changed. That the community we live in could be changed. That our schools could be changed. That's what salvation is. It's not about you or me. It's about all of us. And so let's take salvation and make it what the Bible intended for it. But put that into our heart and put that into our lifestyle. So the question becomes... What will you do with the lifestyle that God has given you? Will you be here and now? I give. Or nah, it doesn't fit into my agenda. I got these other things on straight. Don't need that. One person, Jesus said, salvation has come to this house. The other one, the disciples were like, who then can be saved? And so let's take this message and make a difference. Not in yourself, in others. I want you to imagine, what's the world going to look like if we're all deciding to live for others? What's going to change? Everything will change. And that is what Jesus called each one of us to. So let's keep these things in mind. And let's go out And be the difference makers with salvation that God has given us. Let's stand as we close in a final song.